Hello, and welcome to Follow Your Curiosity, where we explore the ups and downs of the creative process and how to keep it moving. I'm your host, Nancy Norbeck. I am a writer, singer, improv comedy newbie, science fiction geek, and creativity coach who loves helping right-brained folks get unstuck. I am so excited to be coming to you with interviews and coaching calls to show you the depth and breadth both of creative pursuits and creative people, to give you some insight into their experiences, and to inspire you. Welcome to the second year of Follow Your Curiosity. Before we get started, I want to thank all of you who've come along with me since I started the show last January, and to welcome those of you who are just discovering the podcast. This show is a labor of love, and I'm so grateful to all of you who've supported me and helped me get the word out. Just one quick reminder, reviews over at Apple Podcasts do a lot more than you probably think to help new people find the show, so please do leave one. Thanks so much. Because this is the time of year when a lot of us start thinking about new projects, I wanted to talk to Kate Hutchinson, a project manager and virtual assistant for creative folks. That might sound like a contradiction in terms, which is exactly why I wanted to talk to her. A lot of us are afraid of anything that sounds like it might be too linear or box us into someone else's idea of how a project should work, because we think it'll destroy everything that makes that project unique, interesting, and fun. And if it's not fun anymore, why would we do it? Kate has a lot to say about how planning actually frees up the energy we need to make things happen and how it helps you break the scary stuff into manageable parts. We also talked about how our perceptions of our creative abilities can be skewed, how guilt gets in our way, and even how tough it can be to claim the word creative for ourselves in the first place. I think you'll find a lot to chew on in this conversation with Kate Hutchison. Kate, thanks for talking to me today. I'm I'm totally curious to hear your story because I know that there's a story of your creative journey and how it landed you where you are now. So start at the beginning or wherever makes the most sense to start. Okay. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to talk to you and to get to know you better. I feel like we, we've we crossed paths and I, I don't really know you. So um, so this is really exciting to me to just, too. Uh, get to have a conversation with you. Um, in terms of like my story, like I don't have something kind of codified, you know, where it's like, okay. um, you know, oh, well, it, it all started back when, <laughs> blah, blah. Um, but I, I can't say so. I I, um, I recently was talking to a friend of mine who is um, she's getting her um, uh, so, like uh, she's studying to be a, a therapist mm-hmm. basically, and she was doing a course in um, in people who well she was doing a course in in like careers how you find a career, and she wanted to talk to me because I own my own business. Mm-hmm. And so she was asking me all these questions about like schooling and, um, you know, what I studied and how it informed kind of what I ended up doing with my life. Um, and there's so much of it that you don't even, you don't even realize until you're talking to somebody about it and sure. you, you think like, Oh, that's kind of how it all fits together. And so like, even as recently, it's like, you're, you're always, I think when you're an entrepreneur, you're constantly, um, there's so much kind of self-discovery that goes mm-hmm. along with the process of, of starting your own business that you're constantly in that sort of self-discovery mode where you're realizing things that, oh, well, I did this when I was three and, you know, and oh, and this is how it fits in. And I never had any idea, you know, <laughs> there's just all of that, all that stuff. So that's all to say, I don't, I don't feel like I really have a story, but um, the, the short version version 
is that I, um, I've always been more creative. Well, and I even struggle to say that, right? Mm-hmm. Like I even, I remember I were, I had a job where the people I worked with would say, oh, you're so creative. And I really like, I, I would say, no, I'm not. I'm not creative. Yes, you are. You're so creative. And I would say, you know, I'm not, I'm not creative here. No, I'm not creative. I'm imaginative, but I'm not creative. <laughs> and I had to like make that distinction because for me, it was important to like make the distinction because I was like, well, I'm not creative because I don't actually make anything. I don't create anything. I'm imaginative because I could live in my own fantasy world forever and be totally happy there, you know, or like come up with, you know, certain ideas or things like that. But I'm not creative. But now, you know, I realize like, well, these are kind of silly distinctions. No, I'm a creative uh-huh. person. <laughs> <laughs> I know so many people who do that, you know, who are like, oh, no, no, I'm not the creative one. I'm not the creative. It's like, are, are you breathing? <laughs> that you're creative. Yeah, but it's all like it's. But it's, it's hard. And, well, and it's, and it's in that, you know, that same sort of vein as like imposter syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Where you feel like, well, I know so many people who are creative. And even now, like, like, yes. Oh, I've, I've, I've come to understand that, yes, I'm a creative person. But if you, if I were to compare my creativity to that of my husband's, it would, I would just pale in comparison. He is so creative. You know, he's my, um, the person that I go to anytime I need, like, um, he, he's like a walking, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Brainstorm. He's a walking brainstorm session. You go to him and he's like having 12 people in the room, all having ideas. And they just like, flow out of him so easily Mm -hmm. all these all these ideas and then I'm the one who like takes them and says well that's not going to work and that's not going to work but that could work you know um can can I just (laughs) say something that I learned about this not that long ago because I I took a whole bunch of interesting tests you know that kind of like tell you how your brain works and one of them was rate of idea flow so they give you this total nonsense prompt and a certain amount of time. And it's like how much stuff you produce in that amount of time. And so what, what they're very careful to tell you is that it doesn't actually say anything except like how you best function in a different environment. It's not like if you're coming up with, if you're coming up with, say, say you have, you know, three minutes and in those three minutes you come up with, I don't know, 56 ideas, right? which may be impossible. I don't know, but a lot. All that means is that you came up with 56 ideas. It doesn't mean they were 56 good ideas. Mm-hmm. They were 56 ideas. It could be that in those same three minutes, you come up with two, but both of them are really good. Odds are good mm-hmm. that if you're slower, that you know the stuff you're going to come up with is probably going to work better because a little more thought has gone into it. It's taken you a little bit longer to get there. So I'd Sorry for interrupting. I just felt like the need to point out that if people think that there's they're not creative because it takes them longer to come up with something, it has nothing to do with the quality of the ideas. It's just the rate. And beyond that, beyond that, it doesn't say anything at all about you. Yeah. Well, when my husband and I talk about it, we call it, well, there's two like phrases that we used to talk about it. But the one that we talk about the most is um, like a shotgun. We say it's a shotgun approach, mm-hmm. right? Where it's just like, there's a hundred ideas and you know, and they're all just going everywhere in all kinds yep. of different directions. But then you see what sticks. Right. 
So it's sort of like a shotgun that would shoot because like you like throw it at the wall and see what sticks, sticks. right? So it's like <laughs> mixing metaphors. Yeah. <laughs> the shotgun shot pasta. <laughs> I'm also kind of thinking like, you know, the metaphor that comes to mind for me is the fire hose, right? It's just, wham, it's all, it's all there, but it's not all going to go where you want it to go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So this has turned into sort of like, am I creative? Am I not creative? I don't know. Right. Um, (laughs) You are, you're breathing. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I know. Well, I, and I love that. And I think that that's really true, but I did, I did fight against that idea. Um, for a long time, even though I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have put myself on the other side of whatever spectrum there is, mm-hmm. right? Because I, because I was always into the humanities, right? It was writing and it was poetry and um, drawing and and the you know the artistic pursuit, right. air quotes, the artistic. Um, and I was, I hated math. I was terrible at math, you know, and I'm nobody nobody who met me would say well I think she'll go into engineering you know (laughs) was always like well of course she's going to be an English teacher yes that's exactly Mm -hmm. what she's going to do um so so I did you know in in that sort of sense I think I always knew that I was on the sort of humanities creative uh end of the spectrum rather than, you know, something very process oriented which is why it's so funny to me that I've sort of ended up where I am Hmm. Um. So, but I think the thing when I was talking, so going back to um, the friend that I was talking to, one of the things that really kept coming up was the idea of the of the multi passionate, mm-hmm. right? Now that's something that if I had known that that was a, a thing when I was yeah in middle school, I think that it would have really saved me a lot of heartache. Can you go into that a little bit? Because I don't think we've talked about that on this podcast before and people might not know what it is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, the multi-passionate is somebody who is, well, they might also be called like a renaissance soul Mm -hmm. or um, there's a lot of other phrases that aren't coming to my head. Um, The polymath, I think that's another another phrase for it. I've heard scanner and multi-potentialite. Yeah, yeah. multi-potentialite. Yeah, that's another one that I've heard where you're really, you're interested in so many things. And I think I think a lot of it I, I don't know where it comes from but maybe it's just sort of a function of being a curious person mm-hmm. right where you you hear something and it makes you wonder more about it and but you have a lot of interest and now that was me mm-hmm. me always, too where I dabbled and that became a real fundamental part of how I perceived myself was as a dabbler and when I was growing up, it had a very negative connotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there was um, settle. right. So I, um, so I was in band uh, when I was in high school, and I've always been super into music. I've always been a singer, and um, you know, I would play piano by ear and do all those sorts of things. And um, so when I got into high school and I joined the band, I started out playing clarinet. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really like the clarinet, so I switched to the flute. So I played the flute, and then when marching band season was around, it was the piccolo. Well, after I had been in band, the official marching band for a year, the band director, I don't remember if he asked me directly, I think maybe he did, um, and he, he asked me if I would be interested in switching to trumpet because he needed another trumpet. Oh. And I said, sure, I'll learn the trumpet. And I did. 
and it was easy and I loved it and I learned the trumpet. There I was. And I stayed there for a year. And then the next season rolled around and he said, well, our French horn mellophone just graduated. <laughs> um, would you be interested in learning French horn and mellophone? And I said, sure. And I did. And I hated the French horn for two years because it was really, really hard. And then I loved it because mm-hmm. I actually stuck with it. I remember coming home and telling my dad, I don't remember if it was when I started trumpet or when I started the French horn, but he was mad. He was legitimately angry. And he, he just didn't understand why I couldn't stick with something. Mm-hmm. Just stick with it. Well, I just wanted to learn something new. And, I, and not only did I want to learn something new, I wanted, I wanted to like be helpful to my band teacher who I yeah. loved. He needed this. And I was like, well, yeah, I'll help you. Sure. And somebody was asking, somebody in authority was asking you. So I would have thought that would have given you some good cover there. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I loved it. I loved learning all the new things. But, it, but in the mind of, of, you know, the people in my family, it wasn't, it wasn't a positive. Mm-hmm. There was somebody in my family who um, I remember distinctly, he had a lot of different jobs and he, and he still does, you know, he's in, he's in his seventies now. And um, he was every few years, he would switch jobs. And the way that the people in my family talked about that was really, they really looked down on it, you know, mm-hmm. and it was that notion of, well, he just, he just can't stick with anything. Right. You know, he's constantly changing his mind. And why can't he just stick with something? And it's, you know, what feels like kind of a more, it feels like a more old fashioned idea. I don't know whether it is or oh, not, yeah. but it, it all seems sort of wrapped up in that idea of, well, you go and you find a job and you work there for 40 years and you retire. Yeah. You know, you just find the thing and you, and you keep doing it. And this just bucks that trend. Absolutely. And so in my mind, it was always a really negative thing. And, and it, it was like, well, am I going to wind up like, I don't want to say the person's name, but am I going to mm-hmm. wind up like them? And is my family going to look down on me because I keep changing paths? And that was a scary place to be. Yeah. Where I felt like, well, I don't want to do that thing anymore. And I don't feel like I have to, but I know that I'm disappointing my family by changing my mind and cha- pivoting and changing my path and doing this other thing. And I've had so many different kinds of jobs. So I really, I, I, for a long time, I thought that that was, was a negative thing until I learned about the idea of being a multi-passionate person and that there are so many people out there who are multi-passionate. And, so many. Yeah. And that it's totally normal and wonderful. You know, it's a wonderful mm-hmm. thing to be. And, you know, I think a lot of multi-passionates like to point to, um, you know, to really famous people who obviously are multi-passionate, but it's, it's really true. I mean, like Leonardo da Vinci is obviously a really famous obviously. example. Yep. Even, you know, somebody like, um, like Justin, uh, Justin Timberlake, you know, who writes and dances and sings and acts and, and absolutely mm-hmm. he's a multi-passionate person. Yep. Right. And so in so many ways, we really kind of lift them up in terms of, of celebrity. Um, but then when it comes to the people in our lives, we, we say, oh, well, they just can't stick with anything. <laughs> Nobody's yeah, saying we have to hold. It's sort of like, I mean, to go with Justin Timberlake, the idea that, you know, you want to be a singer. Oh, well, that's for those people. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you just look at him as a single thing, it's, it's like, that's for those people. But even more so when you add in all the rest of it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. kind of like, well, how are you going to make that work? Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So 
So for me, I'm trying to sort of connect it back to my story. I might have to think for a second. Sure. So I think for me, when I was able to to learn about being multi-passionate and embrace kind of what that meant for, well, one, what it kind of meant for my past, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, I've had so many jobs, right? I've worked in so many different kinds of industries and I've done lots of different kinds of things. And being able to look back and say, all of those things have served me. Mm -hmm. And they all inform what I can do now. And I can use all of those things to build a business. So, you know, I've done, so I, you know, I majored in English, so I know editing and proofreading Mm -hmm. and I was a photographer and um, I was a barista and I've worked in insurance and I've been a corporate trainer and I've worked in retail. I mean, like lots of people. Mm -hmm. And um, I was, I taught English uh, overseas, um, you know, as English as a foreign language and, um, what else have I done? I don't know. I've done all kinds of stuff. And so when I started going to a business coach and after, you know, I was even then trying to kind of work out what I was going to do. And she was able to, she kind of looked at me and she said, well, have you thought about being a virtual assistant? Oh, I know the other stuff. I'm a web design. So I got certification in web design. Um, So I did web design and all kinds of admin stuff. Oh, and I worked at doctor's offices and Anyway, and it was like this light bulb went off where I was like, oh my gosh, I can use so many skills that Mm -hmm. I've learned to do that job. And it was like all of the multi-passionate, you know, like they can all inform that. Yeah, that must have been like, I don't know, like the sky opening and the sun shining and yeah, it all makes sense. Yeah, it really was. So when you when you landed there with the coach, I mean, did that like when did you actually take a different tack? When did you actually start to embrace the word creative? That's a good question. I don't know. Um so like I said before, I think um you know, I so I always kind of knew I was on a more creative end of the spectrum I think maybe starting to reject the idea would have come more around like high school Mm -hmm. uh, and college and I specifically remember in college not identifying as a creative Um, I'm not sure that there was like a moment when I realized well I am creative Um, I think it was maybe more of a really long long process of of just kind of realizing that um, maybe part of it was that I didn't need to like split hairs about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I guess maybe, I don't know, maybe coming to an understanding that the creative doesn't, doesn't have to be in a box that means you produce. Ooh, you know, because that's what I would always say. Well, I'm not creative because I don't actually make anything. I don't actually produce anything. But I think I realized at some point, and again, it wasn't like a, a defining moment, but I think I just realized that it, it didn't have to be about production and that it's really more just about 
I don't know what it's about. What is it about? You tell me, Nancy. What is creativity? <laughs> can, you, can you answer this thousand-year-old question? You know, that's that's such a good question because it's like it takes so many forms. But I think it's anytime you are are creating something that didn't exist before. And yet, as I say that, I'm reluctant to go with it because I feel like it puts pressure on people. But right. it's it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a new invention or a new you know, object or anything like that. It's just, it could just be a new way of seeing something. It, you know, it's like mm-hmm. bring your perspective to it. You see, I hate the phrase outside the box and yet Lord knows it works almost all the time. You know, you're seeing outside of what everybody else is seeing. You're, you're able to look outside the, the established parameters of a thing and say, what about that thing over there? Yeah. You know, it's, it's like seeing possibilities and, and how they might work. And, yeah. and you know, kind of like what you were talking about before when you said, you know, your, your husband comes up with a bazillion ideas and you're the one who sits there and goes, okay, so these 62 aren't going to work, but these other three, these might actually mean something and amount to something. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's, that's just as much a creative thing, I think, because somebody has to weed through all that stuff and somebody Mm -hmm. has to be able, you know, unless you're the kind of person who's sitting there going, no, only the things that fit in our pre-established box will work, which I don't think is what you mean. Then, you know, you're, you're doing the same thing. Cause you're like, Ooh, hang on, wait a minute. That thing, that could be really, really cool. Yeah. No, I've never seen that before. I'm not exactly sure maybe how we'd make it work, but I think we could, you know, whatever. I think all of that is is creative. And, you know, and this is part of why it's like, if you're breathing, you're creative. You you know, I mean, I grew up with an engineer. Don't tell me engineers aren't creative. Are you kidding me? No, you're exactly right about (laughs) that. And yet so many people think that that anything that's associated with science and math is not creative and it's just not true. We wouldn't have all, you know, we wouldn't have the internet connection that we're using to record this call if it hadn't been for people who were into science and math. Yeah. So, and I do, I a hundred percent, I'm on board with that a hundred percent. And if I, if I made it seem earlier when I said, you oh, know, no, 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 you didn't. Cause I know that spectrum, you know, <laughs> right. Even then I was like, not really comfortable with that idea of, of sort of like, well, you're one or the other, but, um, it's a different kind, but yeah. 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 Well, and two, when you're in the school system, right. It really is. You you take those dumb quizzes, right? That are like, what kind of job should you have? But you're yeah. always sort of, I mean, through the whole school system, you're always kind of being put into different little categories and mm-hmm. boxes. And mine was never the, you know, math box. Right. Even though as an adult, and so I, I developed a terrible math phobia for mm-hmm. years and years and years. But as an adult going on my own and having to figure things out, I realized I love it. But I, I didn't, I never had the, the space to figure it out for myself. Yeah. You know, and, and then when I had the space to do that, I realized like, oh, I love playing with numbers. This is great. You know, I love figuring this problem out. But I just couldn't do it yeah. the, the way that they wanted me to do it. And so I was bad at that. That's, that's the problem with school so many times as mm-hmm. a former teacher. It's like you wish that you had the opportunity to sit down with every kid and take as long as it took and to find the right way to make it work for that kid. Right. But you don't. And the, you know, the awful effect of it is that a kid gets labeled as, you know, not very good at math when actually with in the right circumstances, they could be great at math. Right. I think yeah. We could all be great at anything if given the right circumstances. So right. yeah, yeah, everybody's working in the limitations that they have for, 
whatever uh, whatever they're doing. Yeah. You said something. Um, what what was it you said that kind of sparked something for me? Oh, about like when I sort of realized that maybe I was creative. I think part of it too was just sort of like <laughs> saying, well, a, a thousand people can't be wrong, right? Like, like <laughs> people tell me all the time that I'm creative. So what are they seeing in me? Yeah. I'm not seeing in myself. And I remember um, being in a, in a group of women where everywhere the, there was one woman who was kind of going around the room and saying like what she appreciated about each one of us. And, and the thing that she said about me was that I always provided a different perspective and something that she would never have thought about on her mm-hmm. own. And, and that sort of reminded me of what you said, you know, where it's like, you just sort of think about things in a different way, or you can kind of take them and, you know, mm-hmm. mold them around and think, well, what if we think about it this way? Yeah, it's like a different angle. Mm hmm. Yeah. So I think it was kind of those things together that, that finally made me say, oh, I'm creative. And then the other thing was I started knitting 11 years ago or so. And, and that really was like, oh, so I can, I can sit and I can make something. <laughs> and that, you know, felt nice because it was productive and also like handy at the same time. Yeah. And there's something, I mean, as much as I think it's true that being creative can be as simple as having a different angle, there is also something really, really satisfying about, I made this thing that didn't exist before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a funny thing. Like I don't, I'm not necessarily being like creative when I knit because I'm following somebody else's directions a Mm -hmm. lot of the time, you know? So I don't know. It's just a funny thing, isn't it? Creativity and all of the different sort of it means so many things, which is why when people say to me, I'm not creative, I just kind of, you know, usually in the name of politeness, try not to laugh right in their faces. But still, it's like, yeah, yeah, you are. You mm-hmm. just aren't identifying it that way or you're afraid of the word. And I, I think, you know, we, we put so much pressure on that word and it, it, it's, I'm not sure the word itself can really bear it because really, if you think about it, creativity, it's kind of a vague term. Yeah. Right? It means so many things. It can be used in so many ways. If somebody comes up to you and says, you're creative, I mean, you don't even know what they mean. You know, when you're sitting here listening to all this going, I am really, I have no idea. <laughs> Is this an insult in this context? <laughs> what are they saying? Well, aren't you, you creative? Know, but, but yeah, so it's like, and yet we put all this pressure on this very vague term. So, you know, what, what does it mean? Does it mean you have to produce a masterpiece? Does it mean that you have to come up with 87 new ideas every six minutes? Does it, you know, what, what does, what does it mean? And I think a lot of people just kind of react to that and go, no, thank you. I don't want that kind of pressure. I'll go over here and count beans and I'll be fine. Thanks very much. Oh yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah. I never even really thought about that sort of the pressure that people place on themselves if they feel like they're supposed to be creative, right? It's just so much easier, like not to have to think about thinking about it. Yeah, because a lot of people will be, I mean, they'll they'll literally like wave their hands, like to get it away from them. Oh, no, I'm not creative. I'm not creative. And it's like, yeah, you are. Oh, that's fascinating. You know, I mean, think about it. We all, we all played as kids. We all imagined stuff as kids. You know, we invented whatever and, and we did it easily. You know, it comes, it comes from nowhere. I've, I've got nephews who are seven and four and they will both come up with stuff that just, I mean, they were playing a couple months ago when I was with them and, and the one walked up to me with a tray full of little blocks and said, here is some fresh gargle nut stew. And I'm like, where on earth did you get that? You know, and it, but it just, it just comes out of them without a second thought, you, yeah. you know? So, you know, we all did that when we were kids. Don't tell yeah. me you're creative. You may have forgotten how, 
that's a different thing. But you are, it's still in there somewhere. Because we were all that kid, you know, who just said the first thing that came out of their mouth, no matter how crazy or insane or brilliant it was. And it just gets lost because, you know, we're told that we have to like be practical and logical and make sense and keep yeah. creative stuff to art class or music class or, or whatever. It's all still in there. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point. I've got an eight and a 10 year old, so I get to see it firsthand a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, I mean, my husband and, and I then are, are also very creative. But yeah, so being in a family of, you know of lots of ideas all the time and lots of people just saying funny things off the top of their heads, you know, it's great. Yeah. But you know, it's like, it's like the, the Picasso quote that now I'm going to butcher cause I can't exactly remember it off the top of my head, but I think it's something like every, every child is an artist. The problem is how to stay one when you grow up. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Cause we call that play and we decide that we're not supposed to play anymore when we get older, when actually we should all be playing a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. And that, you know, kind of going back to the sort of math idea. And I I think that that calling it play is, is a really, you know, is a really good, I like that, that word about it, just where you're sort of allowing yourself space. And for Mm -hmm. me, that's, that's where I started to realize that I liked, you know, math, or even that I liked kind of organizing things was, you know, when I had to start sort of doing budgeting. Right. and I had the space, I wasn't under time constraints, I had the space to like, take all of these numbers and all of these categories, and play with them, right, to put them into spreadsheets and see, well, what what happens if we put this one there? And if Mm -hmm. we take out a little bit and put it over there, and see how it all kind of plays together. And it was that process of having to do my, my family budget, that made me realize like, oh, no, this is fun, right? <laughs> like, like managing these numbers is fun. Oh, I like this. You know, I like budgeting. I like working with numbers. Why didn't, why didn't I like this for the last 25 years, you know? Yeah. It's that, it's that bringing in that sense of play and the space to uh, allow it. I, I heard recently there was... um there was a mathematician who was on one of the shows on NPR. I don't remember which one it was. And he was talking about this same kind of idea, right? And he says, you know, that there are um, people think that they're bad at math or they're afraid of math. And it's, and for him, it's all about like really giving people the space. Like he says that math in, in schools is now really about like, here's how you solve the problem. It's about teaching mm-hmm. them the method to solve the problem before they see the problem. And so Ooh. they're not learning to figure out how to solve the problem. And that, you know, he wants to, to the math education to kind of come at it from a different angle. Mm-hmm. Where and, and obviously, I'm, you know, I, I do understand that schools are really limited and they're oh, absolutely and all the, you know, and so, you know, the idea of instituting this, you know, sort of, countrywide nationwide is is you know not necessarily tenable but um but just the idea that like we'll show them the problem and let them figure out how they want to solve the problem give mm-hmm. them the space give them the time to play with 
how to solve the problem. Don't show them how to solve, you know, the one method to solve the problem. There's so so many methods that you can use. And it was like, I didn't learn that until I was an adult and, and having to figure things out for myself because I didn't remember the methods they taught me. I don't remember any of that. I couldn't do long division. (laughs) I can't do long division. I don't remember any of that. Yeah, I was never any good at that one in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure I wasn't either, but I figure out other ways to Mm -hmm. figure it out, right? Yeah. And then that's where the joy comes from. You know, when I was teaching, we would have conversations, you know, around the the lunch table with different faculty members and we'd say, you know, what, what was really frustrating was that there wasn't any intellectual curiosity. Mm-hmm. It was just tell me what the answer is. Mm-hmm. You know, either tell me what the answer is or tell me how to get the answer. This was all there was. It wasn't, you know, well, why do you get the answer this way? Or why is this the answer? Or what about this other thing over here? Or or anything about that. And I, I feel like pe- people who know me know not to get me started on standardized testing, but because I could go on for hours. But, you know, like... I feel like we have this this fundamental lack of critical thinking because you can't test critical thinking on a standardized test. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you could, but I think it would be a whole lot harder, you know, because how do you fit it into a multiple choice answer? Mm-hmm. You know, if you really want critical thinking to happen, it's got to be an individual answer. And so, so it's just, it doesn't happen because the schools are under pressure to produce test scores and the tests are all standardized tests. And therefore you're going to get multiple choice thinking rather than critical thinking, which eventually, you know, who's going to be the engineer and who's going to be the teacher and who's going to be the writer. And obviously we've got, you know, millennials who are kids that I taught who are doing great things. So, so it's still there, it still exists, but you can also point to lots of examples where it doesn't seem to exist. And that's kind of scary. Yeah. And so much of the, I mean, I think a lot of times what happens is, is like people in my case, right. Where you, you start to figure things out as an adult, you know, Mm -hmm. we can't, we can't always figure everything out when we're in elementary school or middle school. And sometimes you just sort of have to live life and and figure it out in your thirties instead, which is what Mm -hmm. I did. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I think the critical thinking and creative thinking go hand in hand. I think, you know, yeah. to a large extent, they, they overlap. So, so yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you're kind of like, at this point, this, this person who does all of the organizational planning kinds of stuff mm-hmm. which isn't really what a lot of people think of as creative. So how mm-hmm. do you, how, tell me how you got there and how that works for you as a creative thing. Okay. So, I think so by the time I was um, in my late 20s, I think that I had I had fully taken on the creative mantle because I so I had had um, at least one of my children. I don't remember if I'd had both of them, Um, but I um, so I was very into photography. Mm -hmm. Um, I was doing a lot of photography. I was um, working. Um, I had 
I had most recently been a corporate trainer and that involved a little, quite a bit of creativity. I had to do some writing and I had to do some designing and I had to, had to sort of develop curriculum. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that took a lot of creativity, but um, so I had really gotten into photography and then I was, I was also working um, at a doctor's office part-time and I, um, I decided that I wanted to go back to school to learn web design. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I did. So I found an online program and I learned web design. And, and I chose web design because I knew I wanted to do something kind of designing and I wanted to do something creative. And I also knew that I wanted to work on computers because uh, I really enjoy working with computers. And what I didn't realize at the time was that I thought, well, I don't want to do graphic design because because I want to work on a computer. Having no notion of the fact at the time that like pretty much all <laughs> graphic design is done on computers. Yep. But I didn't know that. So I thought, well, I'm going to be a web designer. Um, and so I went back to school and I got the certification in web design. And um, and so I had learned coding and, and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, my... Um, so. I knew at that point, so I'd had both kids by that point. So I knew at that point that we, uh, that our family was going to be moving from Nashville to Pennsylvania. And um, so I decided to get a temp job Mm -hmm. uh, because I knew we were going to be moving. So I went on an interview and um, they hired me on the spot. And this was a company that did um, Mm e-learning and they hired me ostensibly to um, it was data entry that involved a little bit of coding. So because I had some design and I had um, some training background and I had some coding, um, so I was a good fit for this. And one of the one of my bosses there, and it was a great company, and, and I love my bosses. And and one of the bosses that I had there. I think may have been one of the most instrumental people and in sort of leading me on the path where I am now, because I'm not sure exactly what it was she saw in me. Um, and I've never asked her and maybe I should, but I had been working there for a few months and she asked me if I would, um, if I would consider starting to take on some project management. I didn't have any idea what that was. And so I think she just sort of saw in me some capability for wanting things to be organized. Um, and I, I don't know that I had any particular skill mm-hmm. in that area. And, and I do honestly think, so I'm not, I don't consider myself a naturally organized person mm-hmm. at all. I am extremely scatterbrained. And I joke that I could only ever have two children because there's no way I would remember more <laughs> than that. I couldn't possibly remember a third birthday. I'm, I'm, I'm very forgetful. It's very difficult for me to keep my mind on something. And I was actually diagnosed two years ago with ADHD. But at the time, I hadn't been diagnosed with anything. Um, I just knew that I was really scatterbrained and really forgetful. And it was really hard to kind of keep my brain on track. So... Um, but she saw something in me. And mm-hmm. I think, I, I do think that some of that need to start to figure out how to organize things. Well, I, I've always sort of had it, right? Because I needed to figure out a way to manage my life mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a very scattered person. Um, and so a lot of that was just sort of born out of necessity for 
surviving, right? <laughs> like getting through school. And I did sure. great. I did well in school. And I think I just sort of learned these coping mechanisms. Um, and then also having kids, that mm-hmm. was a really big part of it. So because I had to manage a household and I had right. children and children are not organized <laughs> and they really kind of throw things out of whack. So I had some sort of organizational capability. Um, and I think that she, she saw that in me and she asked me to start sort of taking on some project management tasks. And they were very specific at the beginning. I don't even remember really what they were, but um, I started, I started taking some of that on and then um, I moved to, we moved to Pennsylvania. Well, I told them, I said, um, I said, well, you know, I took this temp job because, because we're going to be moving. Um, And so, you know, I just want to be clear that I'm I'm not going to be staying in Nashville. Mm -hmm. And they said, oh, uh, well, then would you consider um, working remotely doing your same job and we'll hire you as a full-time employee? And it's like, well, that's the easiest ever. (laughs) (laughs) You mean I'm going to get benefits? I'm not going to have to look for a job in our new state? And yes, and I get to work from home? Yes, I will Mm -hmm. absolutely do that. And so um, I had been there for about nine months, I think, when we, um, when we moved to Pennsylvania. And so by that point, I was, doing, um, I was doing a lot of different things, which is always the case, you know, with any job where I was still doing a lot of the data entry. But then I started kind of managing it more and I started managing um, the projects themselves to say, okay, well, this is, this is where project A is and these are the things that we need for the next steps to happen. And this is where project B is and it's at a little bit of a different place. And, and so I started kind of learning how to... Um, how to manage projects in that way and manage multiple projects and figure out what was needed to get things, you know, from the beginning of the process to the end of the process. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And there was, so I actually did, you know, I did a lot of training um, specifically for project management once I started to take on that role. And I did um, like classes through lynda.com, which I highly recommend. They're great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I learned so many, so many helpful methods for really, for managing projects, but also managing your time and for just how you think through processes and things like that. And it, and it is so creative. And it was really just a light bulb moment to, there was this one specific um, course that I took about network diagramming, which is like the most, the off corporate sort of what, what the heck is <laughs> diagramming it yeah, sounds terrible <laughs> but it was this method that um that they used where he he literally he had a, he had like a whiteboard in front of him and he had post-it notes and he would write a task on a post-it note and put it up on the board and then just all the tasks put them up on the board and then he moved them around and he put them in order and then he figured out how long each task needed and then he figured out how long the whole project was going to take based on all of that information that had been done before mm-hmm. and that really was my light bulb moment where i thought this is creative right this is and it's and it's clear and it's kinetic like you can move during it mm-hmm. and it's visual and if this is if this is project management, if this is organization, sign me up. I love this, and that's the same process. It's it's the same process that I use with my clients, because it was so, it was so eye opening mm-hmm. to the fact that I could 
I can learn really helpful, specific methods to organize processes, to figure out how things get done and Mm -hmm. when they're going to get done. I don't know. So, so I realized from that point that it really could be creative and process driven, Mm -hmm. right? And where it's like, it's really that, you know, it's that combination to me anyway, of that sort of engineering and creativity, right? right? Those things intersect. So that was the beginning of my project management journey. And now that's what I do. (laughs) That's really cool. Because it's just so, you know, I want to say unexpected, and yet it seems really not in retrospect, I bet. You know, like yeah. everything, everything sort of leads to that conclusion. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I told you my brain gets off track. That's okay. That's all right. So, so I'm wondering though, like, because so many creative people, like, because my reaction to the idea of I'm going to sit down and do a project plan is I would sooner gouge my eyes out with a hot poker. And yet the way you're describing it does sound more interesting than what I would usually think of. So, you know, I, I may be wrong about that. But, but for somebody like me who needs to do something like that, I mean, how, how would you recommend that they approach it in a way that will not make them lose their minds? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think, well, for one thing, like that is for me that that process that I just talked about is really it's like the linchpin and it's not everything that goes into project management and I never went and got my my PMP project management certification mm-hmm. because I didn't care I didn't at that I was like I don't I don't need that there's a lot of like sort of really corporate or you know I guess more complicated stuff that I just for me it was like oh well this is the process I need mm-hmm. so for one thing I think it's about not getting overwhelmed with the thousands of possibilities that exist for like for project management right and and it's a pro- like project management in itself i think is a really problematic term for creative people yeah um because it does sound so corporate and you hear it and all you can think is that sounds corporate and i don't really know what it means and i hate it <laughs> and it sounds so regimented too. Like, oh, if I have this plan, I can't deviate from the plan. And if something comes up, or if I have some, you know, shiny new idea that I need to incorporate, I'm stuck. I can't do it. I'm trapped. I think. I think that's what that sounds like to a lot of right brain people. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point. And um, yeah, the shiny object syndrome. I think we'll have to like pause, <laughs> come back to the shiny object syndrome thing. Cause there's just so much to be said about that. Um, but the, um, in terms of just sort of like the process, um, I mean, so I, I teach the process. Um, I have webinars and things like that, that actually like walk you through how you do this process with your own project. And then I, I do it one-on-one with clients too, because I think, you know, like you said, some people just think I would rather gouge my eyes out. I don't even want to learn how to do it. I just want somebody else to do it mm-hmm. for me. And that's fine because I, I totally get that too. Um, but the idea that it was, like I said, you know, and in, in you being a teacher, I'm sure you're, you're extremely familiar with this, but the sort of, um, you know, 
kinetic learning and visual learning and and auditory learning. And I think, you know, I don't know, I I think maybe some of that has been debunked in terms of like, you're, you're in one of these buckets, right? You're an auditory learner. So a lot of that has been debunked, but the truth of the matter is, is that the more, I think the more of those that we incorporate into what Mm -hmm. we learn, the more, the better we understand it and just kind of the more well thought out it is. And so the fact that the process itself is like, it's tangible, right? You can, you can do it digitally, but when I'm in person with somebody, we do it on, on literal post-it notes or Mm -hmm. a notes. And so it's, it's something that you can touch and it's something that you can move and it's something that you can see. Mm -hmm. And there's something about putting all of those pieces together that to me are what make it appealing to a creative person. It's what makes it appealing to me as a creative person Mm -hmm. that it's not, it's that it's very physical, right? Not at all just ideas that you have to remember. Mm -hmm. It's not all just hypothetical. Yeah. Yeah. But it's really physical and it's really like motion oriented and you can, um, and you can play with it. That's the other part of it too, is it's not, you, you move them, you move them around however they make sense to you. Mm-hmm. And if you need to add something, you literally just move it and add it in, you know? And so there isn't, so it really isn't regimented. There's a lot of room for, for alteration and for, you know, figuring out more pieces of it as you go. Yes. Yeah, I think that's the part that, that would surprise me, you know, kind of like, okay, but this thing said that it was going to take, I don't know, three weeks and 42 hours. And well, I guess that's four weeks, but you know, and 15 minutes, and then it was going to be done. And then what happens if it's actually four weeks, three days, and 12 hours, and maybe a little bit more, because I might still not quite be done. You know, I mean, how, I guess what I'm wondering is like, to what extent are you, it sounds to me like you're not married to that chunk of time, but what happens, especially if you're a creative person who, you know, you've come up with this plan, possibly very reluctantly kicking and screaming, you've come up with a plan and now it doesn't seem to be going the way you had it in your head. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what tends to happen with, with people if, if the plan doesn't, doesn't quite mesh up with reality that way. Does it throw people off or do you, you know, or is there room to say, oh, hey, that's okay. Stuff happens. Oh, no, there's definitely room to say that's okay. Stuff happens. But I think what I see tripping people up is the emotional stuff that goes along with the plan not going how you expected it Mm, to go. That makes sense. And here's the thing. The plan never goes how you expect it to go. Even if See, it is, that, that, that's kind of why I brought this up because I thought it can't possibly be that easy. <laughs> well, so that, but, but when you have it laid out, you can see exactly what you have to do next or what you have to like do to fix it. It just makes okay. it so much easier to course correct when you need to. That it's, I mean, you're never locked in, right? The alternative is when you don't plan. So here's the thing. So you, you, you were talking about like 
how, you know, you, you expected it to take 42 weeks and it takes four or something like that, right? right? It was like these wildly variant numbers. And the thing is, like, you might not be totally correct about your numbers. But if you go through this process and you lay it out, you're going to be a lot closer than you think. And it's generally not going to be something like, well, I expected it to take 14 weeks and it took 72 Mm -hmm. if you're actually going through the process and laying it out. But when you don't go through a process and lay it out, you really do wind up with those crazy numbers. Because if all you're using is, and here, so here's what happens, right? And, and let me know if this sounds familiar to you. Okay. Okay. Let's say that you have a project that you're going to plan or like a, a launch, right? You have a, a new podcast, right? You're mm-hmm. going to, you're going to do this podcast. I mean, you do it, you've never done it before. Right. And you, you say, okay, so I am going to launch my podcast in August because why? Uh, because I don't, um, I don't have a lot going on in August, right? So I have some space, I have some time to work on it. And it's, you know, it's like six weeks from now. And uh, so yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it in August. And you start to work, you know, you start to do some things kind of haphazardly, and that's fine. And then you hit like July 15th. And you say, Oh, no, I'm not going to launch this thing in August. That's not going to happen. I don't have enough time to do that. Mm -hmm. So nobody really knew about it. I hadn't like put my marketing out yet. So we're going to push it to, let's say, October 1st, because I don't have a lot going on October 1st. And that's (laughs) sort of the way that we think about it, right? Like, okay, what do I have going on around then? Is, does that seem like mm-hmm. that's what I would have done <laughs> is to say, I don't have a lot going on around then. <laughs> that sounds good. That feels good in my gut. So I'm going to go with it. Yeah. Right. And yeah. You know, like in, in my case, I had the magic deadline uh-huh. that said January 8th is the day. Everything happens on January 8th. Somehow between now and January 8th, you got to get it all done. And I had a coach who was sitting there going, January 8th is the day, right? So, so that if you have that kind of deadline, but I know it has to be an actual credible deadline. If it's just a deadline with me, it, it, it might as well not exist, right? right there right. has to be somebody that knows that, you, you know, that this is my deadline and I have to know it really it really is a deadline yeah. in order for that to work. Yeah. And that gets into the whole accountability piece, which again is kind yeah. of like its own big conversation. Its own thing. Yeah. So like I had, um, had this client that I worked with and she, we had never worked together and she came to me and she said, my launch day is going to be February 8th. And I said, great. Okay. So let's map it out. So we mapped it out. And by the time we were done, I said, oh, no, your launch date is going to be April 15th. <laughs> because, <laughs> and it was like, oh, great. Now I know. Because once you like map it all out, even if you're even if the times that you think are correct, aren't totally correct, you're still going to have a much better sense of when it can actually get done. Right. And so, you know, in your case with the January launch date, so maybe you do make the January launch date. But how do you make the January launch date? Is it a situation where you actually are working really well in a way that feels really, really good? Or as you approach that launch date, and so here's the other piece, right? Like I had said, like you, you move you move your launch date if nobody knows about mm-hmm. it. But if you don't have the option of moving it, then you wind up in a situation where you're working 12 and 14 hour days to get it all done. 
which sucks. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't doing that, but I was spending pretty much every single weekend. Yeah. You know, that's that was it because there was no other time to do it. Right. And you had so, to get it done because yeah. that was your day. But and I should say I was not flying totally blind. I did have month one do these things, month two do these things, month three do these things. Cause it was a it was a this is gonna happen in 90 days thing. Mm-hmm. And that was mapped out for me pretty much by my coach. So mm-hmm. So that, you know, I wasn't flying totally blind. Okay. So other other circumstances like grad school, there were definitely times when I would sit there and go, there's no way I can get this much work done by the time I have to mail in this packet to my advisor. And somehow it always did. And I was always amazed that it did. But it was because I had decided at the very beginning that there was not a chance in hell I was sending in a packet late. Right. And so, you know, I'd be sitting there the day that I went to send it going, good grief, look at that. It's all done. <laughs> how did I do that? I don't know. If you made me tell you how I did that, I couldn't tell you, but it's all done. Yeah. Which is when I realized that the right kind of deadline was magic. But right. you have a point. If you, I mean, that was like in a three-week chunk and I knew what I had to do. So it wasn't like, you know, oh, I have to produce something in three weeks. It, you know, it was like, I've got to read three, these three books. I have to write three pages about each of them. I have to produce this much of my own stuff. I have to write a letter that goes with it. And if there was anything extra on top of that, you know, so I did know what I had to do and what I had done. And then it was just a matter of what makes the most sense to do now. Okay. So what you did, if I can interrupt, go for it. You did the first two steps of network diagramming. Okay. You just didn't know that's what it was. But yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's... And and when you like when I break down the process for people and when like when I talk about it, it almost sounds like, well, do you think I'm stupid? Of course I can do that. Like it sounds it's so it's like so dumb. You're like, well, why did somebody have to tell me how to do that? Because it seems so obvious when you see it. But for some reason, or at least for me, it was like, you know, it wasn't until I actually saw somebody do this like step by step that it was like, oh my gosh. Why haven't I been doing that my whole life, right? But I mean, if you're talking about, oh, well, okay, so I know I have to take these steps and it would make the most sense to do them in this order. Well, Mm -hmm. the only thing you're missing at that point is estimating your timelines. All righty. Well then, and I probably did some of that too. Like I could do this really quickly. This Mm -hmm. is going to take a longer amount of time, Mm -hmm. you know? And so then do I want to do the thing that's going to take longer first because that's the biggest thing and leave the quicker stuff until later? Or would I feel better if I get like one quicker thing done right now? And then at least I I can check something off the list before I tackle the big thing. So yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, obviously then there's, there's shades of sort of differentiation for how, you know, the best way to kind of, mm-hmm. um, and, and I think for me, it depends, it depends on the day it depends on the person, depends on the project, you know, but then of course you do have sort of all different ways, like, okay, so what order are you going to put them in? Are you going to put them right. in an order where it's like, well, let me just have a quick win, you know, first. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I said, I think even, even those kinds of decisions can kind of depend on the day. Um, yeah. But yeah. And it's also yeah, like, which, which thing am I in the best mindset to do today? You mm-hmm. know, Yeah. Yeah. There's so much of that for sure. And so that's where, even though you have the process mapped out in a way that may feel regimented, there's always room for Mm -hmm. adjusting. And I am a huge proponent of working with your energy, with whatever your energy is. It's, I mean, I couldn't work. Yeah. I I couldn't work any other way. If I am in a place where I'm super low energy and 
it is going to be like pulling teeth to write uh-huh. something or to produce some content. It's not happening. I can't, I can't do it. And I don't know. I mean, I think that there are some people who are so disciplined that they could just like push through it and do it. But I think a lot of us can't do that. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. So just because you have this plan doesn't mean that you're not able to still work with your energy and right. adjust things based on whatever day. I think, you know, when you get it, when you get it all where you can see it, there's something about seeing the plan mapped out that then allows you to say, I understand, I understand the whole big picture and I understand each small step in a way that I can see where I can adjust. I can see if I need to, you know, take a little bit more time here and a little bit less time from there. Mm-hmm. and make it all work out. And it and it does, but I think I think laying it out ahead of time is so important. That makes a lot of sense to me. Though I I feel the need as as my creativity coach self to point out that if all of this sounds totally overwhelming and you're just barely managing to get yourself to write anything again or sing anything again or do whatever your thing is again, pick a tiny little step that doesn't feel overwhelming or daunting. Yeah. Pick the tiny step that you know you can do in your sleep, you know, backwards, forwards, whatever. And don't worry about any of this stuff until you get to the point where you really, really need it. Just worry mm-hmm. about getting yourself doing the thing. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, there can be a fine line. If, that, if that's where you are... You, you don't want to plan like this yet because you'll make yourself crazy and you'll never <laughs> touch what you're trying to get yourself back into doing. Yeah. But so. even if you are, so even if you are planning though, that's one of the things I really love too is, um, is that is how you can address that sense of overwhelm because we all hit those points. And I mean, I think maybe for somebody who like, like you said, is, is not doing anything because mm-hmm. just that tiniest baby step is all they can do. Right. You know, I, I'm not really sure, you know, if you're, if you're not, if you're not playing planning anything, then, you know, you, you are where you are and, and that's okay. But if you are, if you, there's just a lot that it can, that it can inform about that overwhelm and the resistance. Mm-hmm. Because at any point, you can break down whatever it is you have to do into a smaller component. Yeah, and I was going to say it kind of is breaking things down into smaller pieces. Yeah, it absolutely is. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, if you're just trying to get yourself to sit down and do anything, I think it'll be, you know, more than your brain can handle. But once you get rolling again, then I can see how this could all be really, really useful. Yeah. But I think what I'm trying to say is like the practice of breaking it down. Oh, yeah. Right. So like if you and so whether you're doing this in a plan or you're not doing it in a plan because you're not that you don't feel like you're there yet. The practice of breaking down and saying, here's here's the next place I need to get to. Mm-hmm. Right. And maybe that next place that you need to get to is to. I don't know, finish playing a single song mm-hmm. on the piano. It's all kind of that same process of breaking it down, right? It doesn't have to be big. A project or whatever you're looking at doesn't have to be big. So if whatever that goal is, so can you give me an example, sort of like a goal that somebody might have in this situation that you're talking about? Well, they might, you know, the the kind of thing that I'm thinking of is, is say somebody really, 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 really wants to write a novel, 
but they haven't yeah. they either haven't written anything before or it's been years or whatever and they're you know I have no ideas I can't get myself or I have an idea but I can't get myself to sit down and write it mm-hmm. the first thing that I would tell them to do is just sit down at the desk for five minutes you okay. don't have to do anything sitting at the desk you don't have to do anything at all just sit there at the desk to get yourself in the habit of sitting in the place where this thing can happen and once you get over that then pick up the pencil Yes. If you feel compelled to write something for five minutes, it can be complete crap. There's mm-hmm. no pressure associated with it at all. If you feel like writing something for five minutes, do it. If not, just sit there with the pencil in your hand. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, it, it's it's like the ridiculously small steps yes. that you can't psych yourself out about because anybody can sit at a desk for five minutes. Anybody can hold a pencil in their hand for five minutes and, you know, doodle squirrely little, you know, doodles on a piece of paper that don't have to mean anything, you know. Any anybody who's old enough to hold a pencil and make a mark on it can yeah. do this. Yes, that small, perfect. I love yeah. that. And so here's what if here's what I would say about that. So that's absolutely. I'm hundred percent in favor of that, and that's what I tell people too. And so if you're seeing it as sort of like your goal has to be something big that feel like where you can't do this process yet. So yeah, maybe you don't need to like sit down and map out the fact that you're going to sit at a desk for right. five minutes, right? You don't necessarily have to map that out. But the the process of thinking about it is the same. Mm-hmm. So the goal doesn't have to be writing your novel. The right. goal can be, I'm going to write for five minutes. Mm -hmm. That's your goal. And maybe the way that you break that goal down into steps is to say, okay, so I'm going to allow myself however many days I need to, to to just sit at the desk, like you said. And Mm -hmm. then my next step is going to be, I'm going to pick up the pencil. And it's just like you said, and it's breaking it down. And what I like to tell people is like, if you hit whatever, whatever point you hit resistance, because it happens every single time, it always happens then you take whatever that task is and you break it down into into its mm-hmm. little component parts and you keep breaking it down until you look at it and you say i can do that and and the way that i talk about it is to say like even if the first task that you see is open a browser window yep if that's the next step that you can take then that's your next step that's it and you don't have to go further than that yeah and and it will feel ridiculous at some right. point, if not at every point, because you'll be sitting there going, any idiot can do this. But that's the point. Any idiot can do it, which means you can do it. Mm-hmm. And so whatever it is that that you're having trouble getting around, that's that's how you do it. You break it into such tiny pieces that you cannot psych yourself out about them because anyone could do them. Yes. And and that, you know, it, it's I think it's really important to to just, be super clear that this is not saying that you're stupid. It's <laughs> right. not saying that, you know, you're incompetent. It's saying you've got some kind of fear or overwhelm going on and this is how you get around it. This is how you put the amygdala to sleep long enough to get around that thing that scares you. And once you get around it, then you build confidence around it and then it's not such a big deal anymore. Though you may have the same issue every time you start a project. It may be, oh, Lordy, here I am again because, you know, the blank page is terrifying. Whatever, whatever your version of the blank page is for whatever project you're doing, 
going, it's terrifying. And that's how you get around the fear of there's nothing on the page. I mean, there are people who would sit down and just for five minutes, write crap, 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 just to have words on the page. They don't have to say anything. They don't have to make any sense, but they're there. And then the page isn't blank. Mm -hmm. And then they've got something and they aren't feeling like I have to put something brilliant on this blank page. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's not, You'll, you'll notice we are not being judgmental about this because this is how it works. This is yeah. how you get around that crazy stuff that says to you, I can't do this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then it, it also just kind of goes to show that like the way that you think about if you, if you don't, if you don't, you know, have my same background and thinking about planning a project makes you want to gouge your eyes out. <laughs> that a big part of that can be because it feels overwhelming and it feels like you're supposed to be doing something big. Well, like what's the point of planning it out if I'm not doing something big, but it doesn't have to be that way. And like I said, a lot of it is just sort of the way that you think about what, what, what's my next step. Right. Right. And I right. wanted to go back a little bit. We had started to talk a little bit about like what happens when people kind of hit those points where they don't, know how to move forward or so uh in terms of like kind of the emotional baggage that uh comes with with when the when the plans break down right and i see this a lot where people um people they know that they can like come back to me if they have questions and they Mm -hmm. don't do it they don't they they know that i'm there and i'm available but they don't contact me and i think it's because they have this guilt about mm-hmm. the fact that it's gone off the rails or the fact that, well, they started to get interested in something else. And I think if people can realize that one, it happens to every person. Yep. Two, it happens in pretty much every project. You are not alone in deciding that, you know, and feeling like something has gone off the rails. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to just to let go of the guilt about it and realize that at any point where you get tripped up or you get stopped, there is still a way to move forward. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I would say, right. And maybe you don't know how to move forward. And, you know, that's where people like me hopefully can kind of come in and and help troubleshoot, but there is always a way forward. You have to just let go of the guilt about, the project not mm-hmm. going exactly the way you thought it would because yeah. it never will. The guilt, the shame, okay. the fear, yeah. all of it. It's perfectly normal. Yeah. And it, and still going through this process, it doesn't make this process useless. It still right. is useful to be able, you know, people, when I work with people and they'll say like, oh my gosh, I feel so much better. But then they also say like, I'm also really daunted at the same time. <laughs> so you do have both sides of that coin, but being able to see it laid out and just know like, oh my gosh, I know exactly what I have to do. It just works wonders. That's fantastic. This is really cool. Thank you so much, Nancy. You're welcome. Thank you. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for joining me and to Kate for sharing her insights with us. You can find show notes, the six creative beliefs that are screwing you up, and more at fycuriosity.com. I'd also love for you to join the conversation on Instagram. You'll find me at fycuriosity. Follow Your Curiosity is produced by me, Nancy Norbeck, with music by Joseph McDade. If you like Follow Your Curiosity, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell your friends. It really helps me reach new listeners. See you next time.